In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Good morning, everyone. This passage is the best known in the book of Ezekiel, maybe the only passage known. Children have been singing a version of the African-American spiritual, Dem Dry Bones, since 1928. That's when the Meyer Jubilee Singers first recorded it. Christians who are in churches with an Easter vigil service, the first service of Christ's resurrection, which begins with the retelling of salvation history, have been listening to this passage in the context of Christ from at least the fourth century. Jerome declares that all the churches of Christ should read this passage, and it's easy to see why. This is certainly the climax of Ezekiel's prophecy, and some say of all of the Old Testament. And as we stand with Ezekiel among the scattered bones of Israel and look backward to God's history with Israel and forward to God's history with Jesus and the church, the same singular conviction is apparent, which we must reckon with. All of it. All of it is God's actions. And maybe it takes a pile of dried bones resurrected into a people to preserve the primacy of God's initiative in our human-centric world. For why this story is for us, it is not about us. It's about God's actions, the way God gives us to know him, and the reasons for the gift of divine recognition. You know the story. Through the Spirit, God leads Ezekiel out into a valley full of dried, scattered bones. And this might seem a more benign vision than many of those my colleagues have had to contend with in the sermon series, but not so with a closer glance. As Jeremiah says in his own book in chapter 7, the corpses of this people will be food for the birds of the air and for the animals of the earth, and no one will frighten them away. These bones have been picked clean by the carrion birds and scattered among the valley. No intact skeletons, no bits of remaining flesh or clothes for identification. Israel is unrecognizable without ability to know God, to repent, to hope, to create a future. But God is not done with them. How can God give them up, even to the death of their disobedience? Can these bones live? God asks the spirit-led Ezekiel, and he rightly answers, O oh God, only you know. And live they do. Ambrose says, quite simply, it is the prerogative of God to raise the dead. Here's our hope. But the character of that new life is what we must listen to if this is to be a word to us from God today. And we hear four characteristics in chapter 37, maybe they're stages, because four times... God tells Ezekiel to preach to the pile of bones, and four times God breathes new life into them through the word of his prophet. 
First, Ezekiel preaches to the bones, and from the dust, God connects the knee bone to the thigh bone, and the bones come back together. Second, Ezekiel preaches to the four winds, and God puts breath in the reconnected bones, and the scattered bones now stand as a multitude. And it's only at this point that God tells Ezekiel who they are. Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And only now do they speak, and I think what they say is surprising. We might expect repentance, or how about a little thanksgiving? Instead, we hear a cry of lament. Our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are cut off completely. And in this third stage, God hears their cries and promises hope in a future. Thus says the Lord, I'm going to open your graves and bring you back from your graves, O my people. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. I will place you on your own soil. The fourth stage is described in the oracle which follows this passage, and it's the last action prophecy in the book. At God's command, Ezekiel takes two sticks, one for the southern kingdom, one for the northern kingdom, And God declares that when he brings the people back to their land, he will make these two sticks one. Never again will they be divided. David will be set over them as a shepherd. God will dwell with them, make an everlasting covenant. He will be their God, and they will be his people. And if this all sounds very familiar, it should. The resurrection of the dry bones is a recapitulation of God's history with creation and Israel, including Exodus. But there's a twist. It's not creation out of nothing, as in Genesis 2-7. It's creation out of the nothingness of a dead people who died because of their disobedience. It's not the original Exodus of a people trapped in slavery, is it? their hope cut off. Here they are trapped in slavery to their own refusal to listen to God. It is the prerogative of God to raise the dead, Ambrose tells us. And each act of resurrection here, bones, breath, land, unity, and covenant is God's act, God's initiative, and nothing else. And why? Well, Ezekiel states clearly and repeatedly the reason for God's actions. Clearly and repeatedly. We have heard repeatedly and clearly these past ten Thursdays and three times in chapter 37 the reason. Thus says the Lord, when I do these things, then you shall know that I am the Lord. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and act. When I open your graves, when I return you to the land, I could go on and on and on. For this phrase about divine recognition, then you shall know, occurs more times in Ezekiel than any book of the Old Testament. Divine initiative, whether it's judgment to death or mercy to new life, is given for the purpose of divine recognition. When I do these things, then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken an act.
what are we to make of all this? The fourfold character of resurrected life, divine initiative, leading to divine recognition, as a word for us in our day. Well, let me offer three points for reflection. First, this story calls us to an enormous degree of humility about our capacity to know God. And it's good to hear this in a seminary setting. The story makes clear that none of the preconditions for recognizing God reside in human beings or human understanding. They lie with God. All the ways we think we can know God through our intuition, our experience, our dreams, or doctrine, name your favorite, are thrown on their heads. Because bones can't hear, they can't intuit, they can't argue, they can't pray. Bones can't go to alpha groups, sing praise songs, or Anglican chant, read old texts or original languages. They can't analyze the culture or reflect on mission strategies. They can't explore the psychological need for God or human restlessness. They aren't restless, they're dead. You get the point. The resurrection of the dry bones is not only a statement of God's marvelous response to Israel's disobedience. It's a statement of Israel's capacity and our capacity to know God through our initiative and efforts. These dead bones can hear Ezekiel's sermons only because God has made it so through his Holy Spirit. And so we pray for the Holy Spirit. If the mantra of even our postmodern age is, I think, therefore I am, this story cuts that off at the knees and offers us a different one. God acts, and therefore we live. God is and remains Lord of our knowledge and recognition of him. Second, the new life we have in Jesus Christ through our union with him is somehow contained in the history of God's life with creation in Israel. It's not something other no free-floating life untethered to the story of creation and Israel. God has only one gig, it seems, and this is it. And it's hard to know what this means for us. But if we turn to Ephesians 2, where Paul describes the new life we have in Jesus, it all sounds vaguely familiar. And some think Ephesians 2 is based on Ezekiel 37. Paul tells us we're dead in our trespasses and sin. We were echoing the lament of the resurrected bones of Israel without hope. Then his mercy, God made us alive in Jesus Christ and the character of that life. Well, Ezekiel's described it for us. It is life in a resurrected body. In Jesus Christ, God connects the knee bone of his son's body to the hip bone, and it becomes the place God dwells with his people, a place where the two sticks of Jew and Gentile become one new humanity in Jesus. And the reason for this initiative, this marvelous initiative, we know that too. 
so that in the ages to come we might know the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. As we evangelize and disciple, and as all of us are drawn deeper into life with Christ, that life has a shape and a pattern. Here it is. And finally, God is known through his actions. It's the only kind of knowledge Ezekiel speaks about. Even with the strange visions of wheels within wheels and eating dung and dancing bones, the actions by which God gives us to know him are embedded in the life of his people, church, and history. In other words, God's actions through his word are his self-introduction. I will put my spirit in you. You will live. I will do these things. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act and have not spoken in vain. Easter is coming. We will again hear the story on which all of our hopes are placed. Death, even the death of our disobedience, will never have the last words in our lives or world. The dead bones of Jesus live, and so do ours. The psalm many churches will sing on Easter is Psalm 118. I think Ezekiel would be pleased. On this day the Lord has acted. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We will rejoice. We will be glad. And we will do our best to pass it on. It is God's prerogative to raise the dead. And here is our hope. But it, Ezekiel reminds us that God acts so we can recognize him. So we can say in our day with a centurion at the foot of the cross, who saw with his own eyes the prerogative of God in full bloom, truly this man is the Son of God. Amen.